0: If we build it, they will come. Hello and welcome to World Builders, a new show where I'm going to be interviewing uh, TTRPG creators and writers. A little bit more GM centric and creator centric and less about stories or players. Something I hope would be really fantastic and interesting. And today I'm joined by Rajib Kalita. Uh, who is Undead Rajibwan on Twitter and has created some really amazing works. So first off, hello and welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, my name is Rajiv, like you said. Uh, I am from India. I was born in the eastern part of India, specifically the northeast in the state of Assam. Uh, but I have been living in Mumbai for several years now, so that's where I'm from i am pretty new to D actually sort of like to truthfully because i mean today i actually did check i thought maybe yeah it's just been two years or so but then i realized i have been uh i was introduced to D probably four years ago and that introduction happened on my like it was self-introduced because i for a long time i could not actually find anybody else who played DD in my city. But then it was much later that I learned that there is actually a whole thriving community of people just that they're not so well connected. (laughs) So for the first year, I was playing online through play by post forums, basically. Yeah, and then gradually I discovered other people. And then we all started and we've there is a very like it is a living, breathing, breathing community here. There's a lot of stuff that is happening a lot of work. So yeah,
0: I mean, that's something I, I did want to ask you about is um, how did you first discover it? What was your moment that you were like, oh, wow, tabletop games?
1: Uh, I think this is going to be uh, a pretty common answer for a lot of people who have gotten into D&D in the recent past, uh, and it was Stranger Things, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it being played there. Uh, before that, I got uh, a little bit in, like into board game designing and things like that. But then once I discovered TTRPGs, that kind of fell to the wayside. And then I just got totally immersed in this. So it was basically Stranger Things. And then I started watching a bit of Critical Role, again, something that would be quite common to new uh, people to this space. Yeah, that's where I where I got, I learned about it. And then I started to find out more about it, got got the like the basic guides that are there for fifth edition for free, got them downloaded, printed. And yeah, that's where the journey started.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And that's something that's really interests me as well is um, obviously being in India, uh, obviously 5e is very or kind of Dungeons and Dragons is seen as a very sort of American thing. Um, and sort of, as you said, Stranger Things, Critical Role, it's all very American based, yeah. even here in Britain we only had the spillover sort of through them. Um, how how was it finding other people? You said you did it online. Was that uh, a challenge to find kind of, was it people similar age groups who'd all discovered it through Stranger Things? Were there people that had been there from earlier editions that had just been playing online?
1: Uh, I have no idea about age groups because again, since it is online, so that's not really a thing. Uh, but uh, again, I joined, I like wanted to find places that i could play uh dnd and then i discovered that there are these play-by-post forums specifically there is one called rpgcrossing.com so dnd5e is like a big part of it but then there are all sorts of games that are run uh yeah and i i found a very very welcoming and friendly community that helped me learn the ropes very quickly and uh, the first time i dm'd actually was there only Uh, like there was this west marches game going on so i decided to kind of try my hand and then there are people who were actually they were mentoring newer people and like getting them into dming so they had this all of this setup which was like excellent and like really helped so like if you're asking in terms of like uh yeah specific to india there was not really anything there was no content or anything but again like it's the hegemony right (laughs) Of like that's that's (laughs) you can't help it that is the culture so yeah
0: well see that's something that's been very interesting over the last few years obviously with black lives matters movement yeah. and um we've had our own movement over here uh that's not just black lives matters but obviously with britain's history with empire and things yeah. there's um i may not look it. i may not sound it but i'm i'm always quite proud of the fact that i'm not english uh my grandmother's actually from new delhi and uh my other side of my family from Italy. Okay. And there's been this movement led here by a, a fantastic journalist called Satnam Samgera, who um we always call ourselves kind of the lost children because, you know, we look English and we sound English, mm-hmm. but we grew up in homes that weren't English. And it's something that I've I've been really fascinated by in my own world and my own stories is as you said with the hegemony, you look at D and D and it's dwarves, elves, goblins, you look at the stories it's all very American or very white and something that I really loved about your work when I was looking through was seeing your Ramayana tale yeah, Ramayana. and just going, oh fantastic, finally something that's not just yeah. more elves beating up hawks yeah. or you know, more dwarves fighting goblins. So what was it that, um, how do you feel that you've been inspired by your own cultural heritage and kind of bringing that to your stories?
1: Uh, so in terms of telling stories, I got like, I started as a player, started, got into DMing, uh, like realized that I probably enjoyed DMing more than playing. So (laughs) carried on with that. And then uh, last year in uh, 2020, there was, uh, I found out about this uh, RPG writer workshop that happens twice a year. I took part in that. And uh, so the whole deal is like in a, it's a workshop where uh, they have instructions from some big names. and they have a very structured uh, course. And the outcome is that at the end of a month, you uh, publish a one shot adventure. So uh, that's when I started. Uh, again, I discovered that, yeah, probably this is something that I could do. I, I'm probably <laughs> good at. So uh, I started off there. So I started off doing stories which were set in the typical, like, uh, a uh, typical dnd world typical european europe-based my, mythologies and myths and all that but then after a while like i printed like i published a couple of books there but then i realized that i mean there is so much so much depth and richness to my to the, the stories that i myself grew up hearing so these are stories that are i mean they are part of myths uh, like mythological books and all that but I invite them through oral tradition. These are the stories that were told to me by my grandmother, by my aunties as I was growing up. And it was kind of, it was all like all pervading. Just this, every, like everything you do, like every step you take, there is some story that can like give you an example of what is the right thing to do. That's how, like, kind of I grew up. Uh, so there is already so much richness there. So I decided, yeah, might I should. Use this. Otherwise, if I don't, then who else will? So that was what I figured. That I, I mean, I have to. In some ways, I felt almost responsible for this. That I have to do this. So that is when I started like uh, delving into uh, these uh, stories again. Very close to my heart. Very familiar. But then, uh, it's probably not uh, so well known in the DnD world, at least. So if I if I can do something to bring them to the greater world so that maybe people can get more interested in learning about these things, then, I mean, that would be great. So uh, that's why yeah, I started writing this uh, book. Uh, but that's one. Then after that, I did a few more. There is one which is not based on Indian mythologies. But then again, I uh, grew up in Assam and tea cultivation. It's like a big thing there. So there's there are tea gardens, uh, tea estates. And, but then there is also this history of colonialism that is tied to that. So I wrote a book that is based around that setting, basically. Uh, that was the Cup of Sorrow. That is Cup of Sorrow, yes. yes it,
0: yeah, fantastic, really good adventure yeah, as yeah. well. I will, by the way, folks, I will put links for all these all the adventures in the um, podcast description page. So please do check them out. They are much worth doing.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, so that was Cup of Sorrow. And then after that, uh, this opportunity came in, uh, which was, uh, yeah, I think I can talk about it now. Uh, There was NDA uh, that was part uh, associated with this, but I think it has broken now. So this is Unbreakable. So uh, Unbreakable Anthology is a collection of, uh, again, short adventures, but they all tell Asian stories from asian voices basically so that is oh, fantastic yeah, that's the whole idea behind it uh, so uh, they decide they have decided to so they have an unbreakable volume one that is currently in publication but uh, they have some bigger plans now they are they have they're working on multiple anthologies uh so obviously so these have to be asian stories so again once again i decided to like uh, dig into that, and there is one that is coming out very shortly. That is called uh, Unbreakable Revolution. So these are stories of revolution, stories of like giving it to the man and eat the rich, and those kind of those. That's the uh, genre. That's the framework of it. So for that, I have written a uh, uh, written a story. Okay, it's not a story, obviously. It's a I've written an adventure which is uh, based within uh that kind of takes on the caste system of india
0: wow that's very brave yeah
1: i i suppose it is (laughs) uh it is in some ways i suppose so but then also like not just caste system just uh the some in some ways colonialism and imperialism but these are not Mm. colonizers from outside these are colonizers from within the country because i mean you don't you don't need people from outside to come and oppress people that happens on its own enough absolutely yeah, i yeah. think
0: every culture has oppressed itself yes. repeatedly at some points.
1: so uh yeah that's that's coming out soon uh so yeah the whole idea was to bring out these stories which are not very well known but have just the like equally if not more richness than the traditional typical uh, worlds that we in D and D, at
0: I have to completely agree because it's something. As I say, I, I'm I'm raised here, but I, I'm not British. But with my my love of story, is I'm very very bored of what I call kind of the Christian monomyth of you know young boy is raised by strange family in small <laughs> village, goes to town, discovers mysterious guide who leads him, and it, it's you know the same retelling of the same kind of three or four Western stories again and again and again, and it's something that's. I feel, I've recently been exploring this, as I say, my grandmother's from Delhi, um, but she unfortunately grew up during the Raj, and um, so when we came here, her father, my great grandfather, who I knew very well, uh, pretended to be Welsh, okay. uh, so he gave my grandmother and her sisters, uh, they were called Megan and Gwyneth, because he didn't want them having Indian names, yeah, yeah. and. Um, my grandmother was considered the the lucky one in air quotes because she was born with fairer skin and blonde hair Mm -hmm. and we we just lost so much of our culture and our history Mm -hmm. and now I talk to her and I say what do you remember and she says well you know I left India so young I remember very little I I, snippets and colours and stories and my great-grandfather was desperate to be seen as English at the time because it was the 40s and so for us coming back now and I, I've been trying to read uh, *Mahabharata* and the Ramayana over yeah, the last yeah. few years and as you said it's it's such a cultural clash because everything in the west from from uh, right back to the Mesopotamia is a written tradition yeah. uh, Mesopotamia, Greece, Rome, then everything that happened after is it was all written whereas the the kind of the beauty of the subcontinent in eastern asia and southern asia is how much is oral tradition and it's so rich and diverse and that's so it's like it's like trying to capture the the universe in a net trying to kind of grasp it you know it just feels so hard to find it so your stories and other creators like you it's so important to us and people like me who just feel so disconnected from our families to actually go oh wow this is something we can grab hold of, yeah. um, do you have you got plans to eventually sort of um, create your own setting, say like an Eberron or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. something?
1: I do, I do. <laughs> but it's it's a much, much larger undertaking than the things that I have been doing so far. So uh, I did some of a bit of it uh, while writing Ramayana Tales, Search for Sanjeevni, because uh, there is the element of setting in it. Because uh, the actual adventure that happens, it's something, it's, it's a, like a small cut and dried kind of a thing that you have mm-hmm. to get this. Uh, like in terms of structure, it is not very uh, new or different. But there is this whole backdrop of this war happening. There's this, these two great kingdoms which have been at odds. Plus, uh, there's, uh, I also uh, did two, like, created two races. Uh, one of them, which was something that I was angry about and why I wanted to change was the Rakshasa. Because I mean in 5 and in previous editions also, you have a creature called Rakshasa in the Monster Manual. And Rakshasas are something that are deeply ingrained into Indian mythology, they are a, form a big part. But the 5e Rakshasa is not the Indian Rakshasa, of, like the Rakshasa of Indian it's, it's no, not There's nothing, no similarities whatsoever. So
0: so for my sorry just to interject for so for my more british friends yeah. how would you and our american audience how would you describe kind of the key differences in the rakshasa between your culture and the way
1: it's portrayed uh i don't know how uh, it came to be what it is in uh the D books uh i've not delved into the history of it but it seems to be somehow a mix of some indian thought and some middle eastern uh, i like uh, middle eastern myths middle eastern stories that's mushed together to create this creature uh, and it's a very, it's a singular creature right it's a tiger face backward palm very very sly uh, uh, infernal creature that's what the rakshasa is but then wait it just they had a creature and they just popped the name rakshasa on top of it so, so that's probably what happened whereas uh, rakshasa in india so it's it is closer to a race. They are a diverse people. Uh, they are known for uh, their use of magic, but uh, in many mythologies, uh, in many stories, they are the antagonists. But then again, like it's not always brushed with the same color. There are many stories where they are not the antagonists. They are not necessarily the protagonists, but then they are not evil. So again, the the like the just uh, putting the label of evil on top of uh, a particular race. So that is not there, How that's not how it is in Indian mythology. So, oh, I yeah, completely yeah. agree. I
0: hate it when things are... So would you possibly say then that they're more similar to say the way that Western cultures view the Fae, that they, they are kind of considered tricksters, but they're not always evils. They just have, there's, you know, there's diverse Fae kingdoms with diverse mythology from Celtic right, um, right. history of the Fae to kind of Southern German is it similar-ish to that
1: then in some ways yeah in some ways probably but they are also in many stories that at least in the ramayana they are also a nation like they are a people that belong to a they have a particular uh belief system they belong to a particular region also uh so all of that so then primary antagonist in ramayana is ravana who, who is a rakshasa mm. so but even then, even if he is opposed to Ram, Rama, or Ram who is uh, who is literally God, who is literally an incarnation of the prime being of the universe, and he is uh, standing in opposition to Ravan, he is still not depicted in the light of an evil person or evil man. He has this whole internal life happening, where he what he is doing there is a justification for it, and in some ways he is he's always depicted as this great warrior and also a great devotee. So he, uh, so all of that. So even, so even the king of all the rakshasas is not depicted as like this evil person who is just hell bent on destruction or anything like that. So that's why the race that I created based on that. It again, it is it. There is no judgment of good or evil. Just that there is probably a lawful bent to these people. And then uh, there is this whole thing that, again, it's uh, based on what is depicted in mythology that when they reach a certain age, uh, they uh, like they grow these powers, they grow these physical traits also, and a corresponding uh, special ability, which has been, wait, to put it into, into D&D terms, basically. So that's a change that happens, awakening, that's what it is called. So, yeah, that's the Rakshasaris. Right. And then there's also the Vanara race, again, who played a very, very prime, important part in the whole epic of Ramayana. Uh, there, are, there are issues in that, like, uh, the there are theories about Ramayana also, right? Like, what are the real world ramifications of that particular epic? Who were the Vanars, actually, if Ramayana was based on reality? Who were these Vanars, actually? Because they are monkey people. But then if right. it is, if there is, there has to be some relation to reality that they cannot be that. Are they just indigenous people who were written off as monkey people by the more uh, like the people who wrote the book ethics, basically. So all those questions are still there. Uh, that is why within the text of the adventure also, like there are some of these questions have been tackled. Like what if they are just people who were taken advantage of, like they uh, the ruling kingdoms, they use them in their war and once the war was over, they were just discarded. What if that was the case? So, yeah.
0: I think that's something that's been really fascinating for me in this, uh, say it's only really been in the last 18 months, I've sort of been diving deep mm-hmm. to try and understand more of Indian mythology and cultural mythology as well as, stories is the um the emphasis on nuance and on subtlety and on having two not balanced sides but on uh, showing that you know behind every great evil is a seed of good or someone who's hurt or misunderstood or something's gone wrong it's very very rare that i've come across something that's presented as as black and white as a lot of western i've just that's been so brilliant to Explore. it makes more compelling
1: villains it makes more compelling heroes heroes also because uh mahabharata so like just like ram is the incarnation of the supreme deity in uh, ram, in the epic of ramayana in mahabharata there is krishna who is again he is an avatar of the supreme uh, deity vishnu and he is the most powerful being in the universe but his character has so much nuance to it like he there are things that he does during the course of the story that would not be considered like uh, lawful or even good but then it's for in the service of greater good oftentimes so even god is depicted as doing things that are questionable
0: and i love that i love the idea because what's the era of history that sort of interests me the most is i call it pre-christianity because i think that Personally, I think that monotheism has a lot to answer for. It's uh, that kind of single way of thinking of this yeah, is right, yeah, everything yeah. else is wrong. Regardless of which monotheism yeah. it is, even going back to older ones, that that limits human possibility, the possibility that other voices may be correct or other views may be correct. And it's so interesting looking at the way, for example, um, that, you know, the Babylonians talked about their gods, or the ancient Egyptians talked about their gods, Mm -hmm. and the ancient Greeks uh, talked about their gods, which obviously that was the era of the Silk Roads, when trade was flowing all across the Middle East and into India, and it was that idea that gods were fallible, gods could be wrong, gods were reflecting our human traits, as well as this because they were all on a journey of growth they were all about learning and reaching the ultimate whatever it was in each religion and i think that's fantastic that's just as a creator that's brilliant but as a human that's a it's aspirational because it sort of reflects in our era when you know people see their heroes torn down because they've discovered something bad about their past or they've done something wrong and it, it some people become so upset so broken-hearted now because there seems to be this divorce from People as fallible and gods as fallible, or is actually I think that's something so wonderful still about South Asian mythology is uh, and culture. It's ingrained in. It's built in that things can change, and that's okay. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's one more thing I wanted to add. Actually, uh, when you said that uh, there is always this nuance, there's one more reason for that uh, because uh, India is not a monoculture at all, not, not close to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, all of these epics, these big stories, they always get nuances and stories added to them by these various other cultures that are there. So I am from Assam, I'm Assamese. There are stories that are very, very indigenous to Assam, but somehow they all get kind of connected to these greater stories that are there, the greater myths that are there. And so that adds to the main story. So, uh, Rama and Mahabharata, these were not written by one person. They just kept adding, adding stories, kept adding stories from all of these different cultures, different points of view, different ways of thinking. And that, I think, in the end, led to the immense richness that exists today.
0: I was reading uh, Mr. Tharoor's book Mm -hmm. and he said uh, that it was really interesting because, again, in the West where we have the Quran and the Bible and the Torah and he said the idea of the holy books were written for Europeans to give them something to try to understand just because it was, as you said, this um, varying from region to region, from person to person, and, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, between kind of the Brahmin caste and then the it was spoken among ordinary people yes, as well
1: uh, that was uh, also due to access and uh, like access to language access to written work so written tradition versus oral tradition all of that and great amount of regional diversity also uh, because like i said like uh, the story of ravan so if you the more south you go uh, the more positive ravan's uh, depiction becomes because the, and after a while, they consider him as one of their own, so that all of that, so all of it ultimately just adds to the nuance, adds to the diversity and uh, richness of the stories.
0: And do you think that makes uh, so? It's a slight segue, then yeah. talking back to uh, pure fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find then that that's affected Indian fantasy literature? Uh, so, for example, in, if we look at Game of Thrones yeah, or uh, Wheel of Time or even older things like the Belgariad, it's always good versus evil, black and white, go and kill the thing or do the thing. Um, do you find that Indian uh, fantasy is as diverse and kind of nuanced as the cultural mythology?
1: I think the, in, the literature has yet to, I think, catch up to that level of uh, nuance i feel, because i uh, currently the uh, if you just think pulp fantasy that is all mythology based they will they like kind of what i am doing myself so they right. will pick a story from the from mythology and maybe give it a modern twist maybe like have a different interpretation of it but it is usually that uh which like sometimes takes away some of that subtlety and uh and richness uh yeah yeah so i think we have some way to go probably before we reach that level which is there
0: do you think then that there's space for um the subcontinent to produce their own Tolkien, someone who takes your own mythology and histories and sits there and says, I'm going to make something brand new from all this. And yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because uh, that brand new part of it is not really happening, what I'm seeing right now. It is in almost like regurgitating the stories that are there, uh, but creating something entirely new has not happened yet. Why do you think that is? (laughs) <laughs> I, I, so that's
0: probably a very hard it question. It is, it is.
1: I, I don't really know. I, I don't think I can answer that. Okay. Because
0: yeah. it's something that I find um very interesting because obviously one of the easier ways to access Indian stories for us over here mm. is through Bollywood yeah. and, you know, thank heavens for Netflix and being able to actually see yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. And I found it really, really interesting because, it's you know, it's a bit like saying Critical Role or The Beatles in music. But for me, I found Shah Khan and just completely fell in love with so many of the films. And I was really interested, as I've been following some of his posts, to learn that the ones that I loved most were the very, very mythological, like so uh, the Ashoka one and Paheli. And then to find out that those were very, very badly received and the ones that were better received were you know, the gangster ones and the fighting and and the kind of the bigger things.
1: And I thought, that's so interesting. (laughs) True. I think one uh, again, from mainstream Bollywood, one one, uh, story that has gotten that acclaim and that popular recognition is Bahubali. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. so inspirational to (laughs) me.
1: Love it. But other than that, I don't think uh, it is it is a very, very interesting question, like uh, like I think there is this feeling of protectiveness also and there is this uh, almost a fear of tackling something that is so close to people's hearts these like the stories of our Mm cause for example like uh, I think there is a fear of uh, offending people and uh, if you do not want to do that you have to stick very close to what is the norm what is expected and then you end up doing something that is very uncreative. Uh, I mean, I if, like there have been, like, for example, uh, some interpretations of Mahabharata stories that come on, and then like there is an attempt to do it for the small screen or the big screen every few years. But what I find always very uh, like uh, it's what like it keeps me from getting into them or like creates the distance is that the language, the speaking language that they use is or always has to be like very very like basically old style from that time right it, uh, so they are modernizing everything else they i don't know they may be higher concept artists to do their armors in a very modern and almost superheroic heroic fashion but then when they speak they're speaking in the language as it was written um like a ten thousand years ago so i they are not taking the leap that you are trying to humanize these characters, but you're not changing the language. So you're not making them speak like people speak today.
0: Now, is it? Again, I'm just shooting in the dark Mm -hmm. here, so please tell me if I'm overstepping. So something I find interesting, because my Italian family, we're from a very, very small mountain town, and we came to England and lived near London and all this. And I find it interesting that I've noticed that uh, elders, love their roots and their origins, you know, as do we all, but they, there's that sense of losing their childhood if something changes. So, um, obviously with a lot of Bollywood films being aimed at the whole family, you know, that's, you can take everyone and see a film and the film has to be for everyone. Does that limit the scope of what the stories may be? Uh, whereas if we look in the West and there's, you know, these films are for women aged 40 to 60. These films are for, teenagers between 13 to 16. And having the different demographics means that you can take more risks because you can focus something down and get to the meat of the story and say, this is what we're trying to say to these young people who may want to see new interpretations without offending elderly people. Has there been attempts in Indian cinema or stories to kind of um, create demographics?
1: I think so. And that that is again, because of Netflix uh, and, other streaming services because if you have to release something theatrically, you cannot take the risk of targeting only a single demographic or even a single. Again, like the de- demographic is not just age-based in India; there is a uh, no, culture, cultural yeah. and class-based also. Uh, huge, huge difference between something that is targeted at uh, so-called so the uh, terms that are used here are single-screen versus multiplex audiences. Single screens are usually in rural and semi-urban areas. And then you have multiplexes in the cities, in metropolitan areas. So uh, there are movies that are targeted for those demographics. There are movies which are targeted for single screen audiences. And then there are, which are, I mean, supposedly more intellectual movies that are targeted for multiplex. Again, like uh, does not uh, really stand to scrutiny, but then that that kind of demographic work happens. But then now with uh, all streaming services, and uh, I think there are attempts to Try new things. I don't think anything has come up in the fantasy genre that, uh, uh yet. But then there have been attempts to do science fiction stories, and new way like new ways of tell, telling stories. So that is happening. But again, the problems with so it's not just offending; it is also offending certain people who are dangerous. <laughs> so of course that, I mean, that, yeah. that is a bit of a problem uh, like many parts of the world there has been rise of right wing politics in india as well and here the right wing is associated with religion and culture more than anything else so if you do something that angers them then your life is at risk almost
0: Often. I, I can totally understand the, the yeah. caution around that <laughs> yeah, because yeah. It, it's you know it do, it's interesting isn't it because if you look at the root of all stories in all cultures every culture has essentially very simple meanings behind their stories of be a good person, love your family, eat fantastic food <laughs> um, and it's it's really sad how progressive stories all around the world are limited when actually if you take away some of the kind of the hot button whatever it is in each culture it's still actually telling the traditional story in a a very traditional way it's just one thing has changed that can offend and that's i mean it must be terrifying to kind of live within that space
1: it is it is so again when i wrote the adventure Ramayana it's just that mm-hmm. it is for such a niche audience that it'll probably never reach the people who <laughs> might take offense because again it does discuss uh, like i told uh, about the Vanaras and other things so be- because this is the aftermath uh, like the whole Ramayana story ended what happens 10 years after that because Ram went to this whole other country of Rakshasas and then kind of burned it to the ground Literally, uh, it's not that every single Rakshasa was uh, guilty or whatever, but then they completely like uh, destroyed a culture and then came back to live ha- happily ever after. So what happened when they all came back and that country was left to their own devices? What happened? So those kind of questions I decided to ask.
0: I think they're really interesting yeah. that again, that's fascinating because it's a new perspective, they're new questions yeah. coming from a new angle, at least to us. And that's. But
1: again, it, these kind want. of questions are, could be dangerous if uh, they go into some sort of popular media. It could be dangerous. Uh, that's how things are.
0: So do you find yourself <laughs> then in your stories? Would you be safer um, creating something brand new, saying, look, this has nothing to do with it. This yes, is just yes, a silly, yes, yes. inverted yes, yes. commas, yes. silly story yes, I've made yes. rather than trying to educate and share your stories
1: yeah so uh, and i mean it is also more probably fulfilling in a creative way a sense of sense that instead of just wholesale taking stories that are there that have already been been told and i mean they belong to people i it's it seems unfair to just kind of pluck them and like almost in a way monetize them so it's always it's always definitely better to take inspiration from those stories look at what they those stories are trying to teach look at the core of them like you said look at the nuance of it just that the the fact that they are nuanced and then use them to tell new stories build Uh, yeah that's really
0: so um okay i'm going to get to this second section thank you that was really interesting that kind of one question led off i can cross some of those out um so when you are Okay, let's start with this one, because it'll be interesting. Which of your creations, it, it, on all the things you published published, all the things you might be working on still, that we're allowed to know about, I, know, I understand NDAs are always there, which one are you most proud of, personally, and why?
1: The one that I am... Uh, not necessarily... Uh, like, yeah, proud, yes. Uh, I am proud of, uh, I think, most proud of Ramen because uh it is uh, like uh asked some very interesting questions and i think as an adventure it was uh, like it was appreciated in terms of like its design there was recently a actual play on youtube i maybe i'll send the link to you it was
0: uh, oh please yeah, yeah, do i'd love it to watch it yeah.
1: so but then one i felt happiest and most satisfied writing was something that is currently under nda that will come out in some time but this one again like i said india is a not a monoculture there are hundreds of different cultures so when I have written this, these stories about castes and Ramayana for example they are close to me but they are not exactly my stories I have lived in those places I have experienced all of that my wife has to a much greater extent experienced all of those things so that is where the, that all of that comes from but uh, this one story I have written which in terms of an adventure it is something that is very, very relaxing. There is no combat in it. It's just, uh, you follow a person that you know to a village and their grandma has recently died. So basically you help that person with the funeral arrangements. And as you get to do that, as you do that, you go around the village, you get to know people. But why What? Why I was so happy and satisfied, I think is because it draws, this one draws directly from my childhood the grandma was inspired by my own grandma and all of the things yeah all of the things that the players are going to experience in that village are things that i have experienced myself so to have somebody else who are, are not born in that particular environment get to experience that that would be like something really really fulfilling when it comes out
0: see i think this is really exciting for me um so something that i might one of my big criticisms of the west is th- one of the reasons you know the decline of the west and all these silly <laughs> arguments is i say that it's the removal of the understanding of death um it's so sanitary here yeah, yeah. someone dies they're gone no one ever sees them you turn up a funeral it's just a box people cry you go and eat some awful sandwiches um whereas i was lucky not the word uh, to say that my mother died uh, ten years ago, and um, because of our culture, we stayed with the body. We did all the things that are normal in many other parts of the world, and that you know it, it's harrowing. It's very hard, but it's also healthy. It's natural to have that as part of the story. And in all these stories of heroes and superheroes in you know Marvel and Lord of the Rings and etc they they skim away from death very, very quickly. Whereas I found other cultures are far more willing to say, no, 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 let's sit with it. Let's treat it as, as normal as a wedding, as normal as a birth, because it is, <laughs> and actually it's a really important part of human experience. Um, and I think that's something that certainly my American and British friends have really struggled with, is they can become very uncomfortable when exploring that. So I think something that allows them to actually do that in a safe place and have that discussion without feeling that it's too personal is so good.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. It is this whole process of grief almost. That it is a structured way of letting out your grief. So it is it helps also. And It was quite fascinating, like uh, just to read about all of this. And again, within different cultures of India, there are it's similar, but then there are these subtle changes and there are reasons for those differences. So all of that was very fascinating when I was doing my research into how into these funeral customs and things like that. Uh, Yeah, it is.
0: So so even though it's pure fantasy, as it were, for Dungeons and Dragons, you've still tried to maintain real authenticity to real people and the way they live. That's so interesting. Well, please send me that when that's an out of NDA I'm really looking yeah. forward to reading that as well that'd be fantastic um so okay that's that's really interesting so when you're world building so, so for your home games <laughs> um because so obviously you're writing lots and publishing lots which is fantastic but you're still playing you're still DMing at home at the moment
1: I am uh both playing and DMing one game each but what I'm gaming right now is just lost mine of Vandelver because I mean I wanted to do something that is more less uh strenuous a little more lightweight because of work yes. pressure and all that <laughs> i had to run something because without that i feel kind of empty but so i decided yeah let's just try and lo- run and lost mine and but then yeah within that also i st- still try to like incorporate as much as i can the backstories of players that backstories that the players give me just integrating them as much as i can whatever needs to change changes doesn't matter
0: So something I must ask, because it's something that all DMs I've spoken to uh, just conversationally have said, and I know I'm very guilty of it. Um, When we're playing a module that's pre-written, we play 60% of the module and 40% is things we've added or changed just to bring a bit more flavour, bring a bit of us to it. So what have you changed from or added to it to make it, keep it interesting for yourself?
1: Uh actually uh, this is the second time i'm running lost might so uh, and all of these changes they come up organically from the stories that the players give me uh, the when i ran it the first when i ran it the first time uh, there were like multiple players in their backstories they had served some items or objects that were very important to the backstory like one player for example had uh their entire family was killed as it happens <laughs> but then they had this uh, pendant which gave them their sorcerer powers. Another player was uh, playing a a half-orc barbarian, but uh, there was an artifact, an idol, that was stolen from their uh, village, which led to the decline and ruin of the entire village, because that was super important. Uh, Then there was one more. So uh, all of this uh, had these kind of uh, almost like... uh, What's the word for it? (laughs) I forgot. <laughs> but yeah, they had these certain uh, articles. So what I decided was they in the end, the end objective is to find the lost mine and unlock it, like get access to it. So I thought that I will uh, create these five keys that are there that you need to get to it. And one of those keys was in the pendant. One of those keys was in that idol that was stolen. One of those one of the keys was in uh, the staff, glass staff, the staff that he holds. And turns out Glassstuff is the brother of one of the the other players. And then the bad guy, he uh, held two other keys. So all of that. So it became that collect all the keys before the bad guy can get to them.
0: Oh, that's very cool.
1: Yeah. So that's what that game became. That was that became the... And I also actually, I incorporated some uh, locations from... uh, What's the other book? Based in Phandalin that came out later.
0: Oh, the um, Spire Peak. Spire Peak, yeah, yeah, yes. Dragon of
1: Spire Peak. So there were some very interesting locations there. So I brought them into this particular adventure, uh, so so that they could like get there because there was this treaty that was done ages ago, right, millennia ago, between the humans and gnomes and dwarves, which created the Fandelver Pact. I added orcs and uh like uh into that so that th- they were the ones who created the keys almost a little bit like lord of the rings basically uh, so they had to go to Nomenguard to get one of the, the gnome key they had to go to this dwarven uh, citadel to get the key that belonged to the dwarves ones so all of that so Indian, the they collected the keys and they unlocked the mine. uh the current game that i'm playing right now it is it's kind it's uh, we have just done with session seven so it is still progressing but that whole key thing would not work out because that's not part of the player backstory, so I cannot force it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's one. So what it, it's the question, really? What's the best part of DMing or GMing for you? What's the bit that makes you most excited?
1: Just just this, because I find that I thrive in collaborative storytelling. I find it difficult to like create things from scratch. And this has been there in my like professional life also, it's always been that. But if I have a seed of something, and if I'm kind of bouncing ideas of someone, I can kind of generate things and like create and r- make things bigger and richer. So uh, just working with the players, just interacting with the backstories that they're giving me and like kind of connecting it all together, connecting the players also together by a common thread. All of that is what is most exciting for me about DMO
0: definitely i think that's something we would all as dms agree with. now that the yeah. hard question <laughs> what's your least favorite thing about dming
1: uh i mean i i like when i advertise for my games like when i'm looking for players i, pref- I tell them uh like up, up, like up front that i am not good with i'm not great with combat i will run combats but you will they will not be like very high strategy very very super interesting it will just be something that you get over so that you can get to the next story point so uh, i it's not my strong suit and i it's not uh but i do not hate it it's not uh, something that i dislike something that sometimes in certain sessions it just uh, that uh, you need to hit this tried or i don't know like sometimes it just isn't there so that is what i hate like and i and i know it that it is happening i know it that i'm just one step behind i'm not i am close to catching the rhythm but i'm just offbeat. just off it's beat.
0: that awkward silence isn't it yeah you get and you think oh god it's nice, and you feel like you're pedaling to try and make the session actually work yeah, exactly yeah I'd, I'd agree i hate that that, that sucks <laughs> yeah we can't all have wonderful sessions every week. I the reality know. is, some of them will be
1: exactly exactly. That is that is what sludge. you have to accept. That so there will be some sessions which will be a little off, and if you have great players, they are going to elevate it and like help you out, do your work for you, because uh, yeah, they are all equally responsible for. It.
0: So I've got to ask them, because we all know that the players we love are the ones that come to us with, this is my character, here's a backstory, here's an interesting item, or something you can do as a DM that will keep you interested and make me involved and you grow into something interesting. For you, what is the the backstory or the uh, the conversation you have with a player that makes you think, oh no, oh this is going to be difficult, or they're going to be a difficult player I'm not asking you to name anyone particular yeah yeah
1: yeah Uh, like when I started running this particular version it's just the way you I mean the way the interaction goes that is much more uh, illuminating than what the player is bringing to me if they're ready to accept that yeah this is something that might not work and I will also not reject Things outright. I usually don't do that. Mm. If I find something, something that would might be difficult to incorporate, or it might be problematic, it might create uh, discord between players unnecessarily. If those things happen, I will kind of work, try to work it out. I'll try to discuss. And if the players are, if the player is willing to work with that and willing to even talk to other players and say that, okay, I'm playing this kind of character. Are you going to be okay with that? This might arise in the future. If that is how things are going, then that works out usually perfectly well. It is just the, if a player is like completely unwilling to like go forward with any sort of discussion, that is where usually problems lie. Because you can work most things out. You can work most things in. It's usually not that much of a problem.
0: Definitely. I always find it's the players that they want to tell one particular story. And you have to say, well, you're not telling a story. We are telling a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, just as DMs, we have very set ideas of today, this may happen. This is what I think I want to tell. And then the players do something so interesting or so uh, off the plots that you have to throw all your notes in the bin. And just go. I guess we're doing this today, then. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, for me, but, bizarrely, that's the moments I love the most. Exactly. Just exactly. That just throw is it some, in the bin.
1: Perfectly happy with that. Uh, just that. Uh, yeah. With, when that. You have to like constantly keep this uh, almost vigil on how the game is progressing in terms of interpersonal uh, things. It's not just the plot and the story. I think. Uh, yeah you have to keep track of uh whether like how everybody is feeling in the game also ultimately so yeah once and like constantly keeping that communication lines open and keeping up the communication which we are doing thankfully so
0: and about us as players as well because i think that's something that uh gets forgotten a lot is that dms and gms we are players too we are you know we we go and we do our hours worth of preparation each week and we draw our maps and we find our tokens and find our music and create our worlds and create our items but we still want to have fun we still want to feel a part of a collaborative shared victory rather than um, adversarial. I've had an interesting situation with a player um, in the past where I was trying to give, kept trying to give them um, morally grey situations but people who were um, low-stakes criminals that would help them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the nice smuggler or the um, the helpful thief yeah. to try and make their life as a group because they still weren't sure whether they were going to be we work for the guards, so we're very lawful, or we work for the underground. And as they were figuring it out, I wanted to just give them situations because they were trying to evade a force that was hunting them mm-hmm. and um due to plot reasons the force was overwhelming if they get caught yes. that's it uh-huh. yeah. so um and then this one player I, I we had this moment where communication was really key because i thought it was the player and he when we had this conversation he said no 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 it's just my character i know what you were trying to do and i went oh thank goodness that yeah. every time the thief came up yeah, yeah, yeah they their character would say well we're not working with thieves no, we're not working with the smuggler. And so consequently, all the easy ways that I thought, OK, how do I sneak people into a fortified city? Or how do I um, get them past when I've said that these guards have this ability that means they would find them? Mm-hmm. Um, and the player and I had this fantastic chat where he said, no, no, I know what you're trying to do. And now I know you're trying to do that to avoid it. OK, I can make your life a little bit easier. Next time, maybe I'll let one of the others persuade me into it rather yeah, than I being... So. And that was great. <laughs> Because yeah, if we don't have that collaboration, what yeah, we yeah, have yeah, as a DM yeah. is we're being told no, yeah, 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 almost. And that can become very, very difficult where you yeah. don't want to wipe out your players or give yeah. them a situation where they can't win. Yeah. But the... it's So that's the other thing is, do you think it's more important then for the world to be real? Or for the... As in, you know, if you face right. 50 guards, yeah. that's it. Or do you want the the Bahubali too? The bit with the palm trees where, you know, it's just... <laughs> Anything goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so it doesn't have to be strictly one or the other. It can be a of mix course. of two. Yeah, ultimately, it is actions and consequences. That, that's, and, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. And
0: I think consequences are really interesting because a, a, a large part of the hero story in any culture is that things go wrong yes. no one likes the story when the hero goes there and is wonderful and handsome and wins and then they go for the next challenge and a wonderful and handsome and win yeah, yeah. that's there's no nothing to relate to there because our lives and our stories yeah. have failures and complications yeah, yeah. and it's interesting to play some players play for for power and victory consistently like a video game yeah and some play for the journey and the story and yeah. um, As a DM, which do you prefer?
1: Yeah, you have to taste defeat for you to enjoy victory. Uh, Like, for example, in the last time I ran uh, Lost Mine, Uh, so the main antagonist, the Black Spider, is very aloof, right? The players don't really get to meet the main bad guy until the very end. So what I did was somewhere in the middle levels, the Black Spider makes an appearance, like comes into the village and uh, so the players, uh, the party had gone on to uh, another place to get something and they are just back in the village and what they see is that all, all the villagers, they are kind of just tied up, they're kneeling down and the black spider is basically asking where are the keys, basically, the black spider is looking for the keys that the players possess. So, uh, and there is an overwhelming force right there and the full extent of his army and black spider is being like completely slimy and like disrespecting the players like all of that just again just to create that anger right you otherwise eventually you just go and defeat this guy who wanted to like enter a mine where is the satisfaction in that so here they want to defeat him because again they are defeated there's nothing they can do the keys that they possess it's just taken away from them because they know that if like one the barbarian wanted to like take on like i i want to go but the other players they like stopped him like no this is not a fight we can win we will have another day so again just creating that situation almost like an unwinnable situation and also before i went for this i did talk to the players i asked them how do you feel about unwinnable situations I first did that because I there would be certain some players who would not like like that at all. And they would be like very angry to be put in the position that is like they cannot really do anything about it. They would consider it railroading, uh, if which in some ways it was. But then again, it was just to create that emotion in that, that uh, this is the guy we want to beat.
0: So, See, I find it very interesting because I had a situation where, because I sort of said to my players in um, Blood and Song, the live stream I do, that uh, so the, the idea behind the world was it's the world I created, and Well, which is sort of a mix of my own cultures and histories. <laughs> but one of the things that we'd really wanted is a group of my Anglo-Indian friends and I had been talking and we we said, there's nothing for us. There's, there's you know, Faerun and there's Eberron and then you've got people like the Motherlands and the African-Americans doing a very awesome public business for them, fantastic. But we'd said, well, what can we do? So I said, I'll write a setting. (laughs) I don't know how authentic it will be. I don't claim to be anything other than me, an Anglo-Italian-Indian, but I'll do something. And so we'd made this and we've got some of our English friends playing with us and it's really, really fun. And one of the conversations that came out is um, one of our players loves their character so much and they are terrified of them dying because yeah. I'd said something that I like is I like a world where you fail. Yeah. I like a world with consequences. And so I, I'd had this chat with them and it, it helped me world build. because I went, okay, I love my friends. I don't want them to be upset, but I want characters to have the risk of death. How do I marry this? Yeah. And so I went, okay, well, my world is based on or inspired by uh the silk road mythos everything from hinduism to zoroastrianism to mm-hmm. Greco-Roman and i went oh well the afterlife and the underworld that's a literal yeah, yeah, thing yeah, 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 yeah. okay well if their character dies i will create an entire underworld system yeah, yeah. that they can then adventure to go and win that soul back awesome, awesome. That <laughs> doesn't have to be the end yeah yeah again exactly. i got stuck into the into the, the kind of the western christianity thing of yeah, like exactly. So hang on, Definitely. I'm not Christian, I don't need to do that. And uh, that just made my world feel so much richer, kind fun. of taking these players once and translating them to something that was interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this whole reincarnation is such a core part of the entire philosophy. So why not use it? That's like fantastic.
0: It's something that's because I really like the idea of, uh, so in my world, I, what I try to do because I, I've been very made kind of big bones about saying that it's influenced by and inspired by uh, the many cultures of the Silk Roads, yeah, uh, yeah. because I exactly what you were saying earlier. I don't want to cause offence, and anyone who looks at me says, "Well, you're white. You shouldn't be doing this." <laughs> and it's culture and heritage is not as simple as no, it's of not. Us it's for not. Some of us. What so so <laughs> I've said once well, inspired. So I've invented seven <laughs> gods and try to invent this mythology. That so For me, that was kind of the starting point is I think, well, I've, I'm gonna make my own thing. It has to be completely unique. There will be links to real worlds, um, but nothing direct so no one can claim that I'm yeah, stealing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, I always start with a creation and then take my players once and go, how does that world grow? What would happen in 3000 years? Uh, when you're creating uh your own stories yeah. what's what's the seed what's the starting point for you
1: uh this i think it's uh starts with like what is the core idea what is like the big hmm. concept so to the high concept so to speak uh and then kind of build around it just that one line thing like wait, just for example for ramayana what happened Twenty years later, all like they came back, destroyed the place. What happened? So that, that like and that kind of starts the gears roll running and like the engines rolling and like just building around it basically, I think. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so I've got to ask. If you could do anything, money is no object. You were paid <laughs> no a billion repeat to do whatever you want. What would be the project you would choose to do? What would you
1: like to create or write? I don't know. No, so I think uh, there is space for a very, very India oriented, actually not India, but South Asia or yeah. even Southeast Asia oriented uh, setting in d Please. Yeah, just to add to uh, the like just move away from what is the traditionally the only space that everybody is forced to play Uh, there is space for that but it is a large endeavor probably i i started a bit of it again starting with the creation myth how did the world get created and then who are the principal deities so just like trickling down top down kind of a thing i have i started building that i have the table of contents and not much else so i don't think money or anything else budget is the problem it's just a problem of time <laughs> so oh,
0: that's it would be it's it's the the it's the million dollar question isn't it really how do you how do you possibly contain a region as cultural yeah, and as diverse yeah, yeah. and as uh, broad as southeast asia into yeah. 500 pages you would need if historians haven't managed to do it in (laughs) a thousand history books. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Which is why I kind of went the line of, I'm just going to make something new because I can't, it would be so rude to attempt to (laughs) do that. So that's really interesting. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, KP on Twitter. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's spoken before about doing a uh, kind of Hindu-based RPG, yeah, which yeah. would be fantastic. And I know that there's a real hunger for it in the community, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is you know I love to see. I'm just sat there with popcorn, waiting, going, <laughs> yes, please. Can <laughs> someone? <pretty> <laughs> I'll play all of them. I'm not picky. I'll, I'll buy all of them. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. want to experience it. So I think it'd be amazing to do. And um, you said that when you started that D and D was quite a uh, not a hard thing to find, but it was quite a new sort of um, community yeah. within India and Mumbai itself.
1: Is that growing? It is, it is. It is growing in a big way. Uh, because of uh, like very dedicated efforts by certain uh, people, uh, we have a group called Panic Knot who used to organize these uh, monthly events where and uh, everybody was welcome. But then they always want to, like uh, try to get new players, people who are completely new to D and D. I have run games for like a group of completely new players there, and they all had fun, and most of them have stayed in the hobby. So, but then pandemic and everything <laughs> went to shit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that, but then still they have a very uh, like uh, thriving Discord community. There are some other, like there is this uh, guy, the Indian DM on Twitter. He is doing his best. He is again, like trying his best to get new and more and more new players into the hobby. Uh, Because there's so much more that you can do than just like uh, play. It's more than just a game. Again, just exploring these stories. The game that the Indian DM is running in his discord they, they are all very 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 rooted in india and the amount of fun that the players have just like talking in their vernacular just like, like like looking at things that are very very close to them very very familiar to them but put into the context of dnd it's just so like it's awesome just to watch them play so i think all of that is helping grow the community just make it bigger So I think Mumbai is still the place with the biggest uh, number of players, just in terms of numbers, but then other cities, Bangalore, Delhi, everywhere it is growing a lot, Calcutta.
0: So it's obviously, I think the moment for me where I kind of crossed over from, oh, this is a fun game Mm -hmm. to Oh my God, the potential of story was, uh, it's very stereotypical, was Critical Role. I'd watched, I'd listened to an amazing podcast called How Friends Roll, Mm -hmm. which was sort of a a beginner's podcast, which introduced the rules to new people. It's very short form, you know, five ten episodes a series, Mm -hmm. um, which is sort of what I'd done on Earthsembles with my podcast when Mm -hmm. I started. And that was fantastic and they were short and they were funny and they were lovely but then Critical Role I started on season two and that was the first time I'd seen what I mean obviously professional actors can and a a very experienced Games Master can do over time. Do you think that there is there already and I don't want to say an Indian Critical Role but something that has the same significance and power um, with sort of celebrity voices or just very prominent community members in India or or are you still waiting for that show uh
1: there are uh some shows that uh, like not necessarily like uh shows only but then there are some that are like coming up now it's still very nascent stage uh, still uh, the like in terms of like views they are still very very small but in terms of just the amount of fun and the amount of content that is coming up that's like really really great again I I uh, not the Indian name. Daisies and Dragons is one.
0: Yes. Yeah, I, you might I have love heard of it. Yeah
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So, uh, yeah, the, the, that's where Ramayana, uh, like Search for Sanjivani was run for uh, like just uh, three episodes uh, as a one shot. They run, they have run for a couple of a few one shots. And I think now they are starting a full campaign finally. And I, it is Aberon based. I think they have posted their session zero recently. And I think they will start now uh it is like really really high quality very good production values as well uh i think it has like room to grow to like i mean probably fact like uh, truthfully not the height of critical role but yeah it has like oh, why
0: not why not
1: <laughs> yeah why not why not yeah definitely uh then there is another group called TPK, the pigeon killers they have this <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's brilliant it's, it's like really hilarious uh, really really good uh really good show so they i think they run their games live on thursdays on youtube uh, so yeah there are people who are doing things learning so it's like they're learning to do all of these and like getting it out there because in the end like all every game that is running that is there has that amount of richness over time it actually it, it you get that emotional emotional connect. All of that does happen, like, and if you can bring it to an audience and the audience like kind of uh, appreciates it, it I think it is it will come up. Very soon.
0: And that's something I found on Blood and Song is it's. It's the only campaign of that type I've ever run that it's it's streamed but we'd all spoken and we'd said look we're not trying to be a critical role because yeah. none of us are professional actors yeah. well one of us is but not the rest of us <laughs> um and we said we just want to tell our story yeah. and we want it to just be a fun story but with the uh, through the lens of you know four Anglo-Indians and our friends and it I've been really surprised and my, my favorite bits are where I realize I'm watching the show when I'm in the show because my players are just having such wonderful interactions yeah, yeah, yeah. in the world and their their personalities and their stories are coming through and I just feel really honoured to be there going oh wow oh oh hang on I've got to run the next bit Fantas- I was just lost in that that's brilliant and I'm so in favour of seeing just more diverse stories and more interesting moments than white guy kills dragon and gets girl which is is done
1: yeah I know these guys, uh, Races and Dragons, they ran a Blades in the Dark game uh, earlier. And uh, the whole thing was they it's just India is just about to gain independence. It's pre-independence, but they have this special uh, group of people who are sent to the past to steal the Kohinoor diamond, which is about to be given away to the British. So the British are just about to take it from the Maharaja who was defeated and they go to go back, uh, travel by a time machine to the past in order to steal it back. Fantastic. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, that is what it is, right? Tell, telling our stories and just, because it is so much more meaningful and you also are so much more involved because I mean, emotions are involved.
0: <laughs> I do think it's really interesting how, so something that i am trying to do in my story because I'm part British is, I always say, I think British history, whatever that means or Western European history Got erased that our since Christianity and uh, the Normans for us and you know the unification of kind of the papal states and Holy Roman Empire and stuff it destroyed so many temples, so many stories, so many cultures in the West. Uh, we talk use this word Celtic. So you even use the word Celtic is sort of as broad as saying Indian. You know, there were the Gauls, and there were eighteen different tribes in Britain alone who all had very different cultures. And this culture that stretched across all of Germany and Romania and as far as Poland. And um, likewise with all everything that happened in the Middle East for a long, long time before um, Christianity and yeah. Islam. There's so many wow. different worlds and views and stories that we yeah. will never know, that little bits survive. So we know now, for example, that we use the word Easter and there's an argument over, is that linked to Astara, the goddess of fertility, that's right. forgotten? And, yeah. you know, we um, we use uh, mistletoe at Christmas um, and people say, what's that got to do with Jesus? Nothing, it's to symbolise um, sperm. That The moment that there's a, a, an ancient British tradition that mistletoe is dropped at the darkest hour of the darkest nights. And then when it hits the soil, that's the uh, the God fertilizing the goddess and spring can begin to be reborn. And you know, all these wonderful ancient stories that um, were erased. So something that's really interesting is that on a lot of ancient British churches, and I believe in other cultures as well, islands more prominently, there's something called a Nagig, which is a, it looks like a little stone statue of, um, essentially of a naked woman, uh, but made, but very prominently displayed nudity of her genitals. Um, And it's because a lot of these ancient churches were built alongside the goddess worship that was natural and kind of the normal thing here. And I've been really saddened in a lot of the discourse uh, among British people and about what are we teaching about history that, you know, I've said, look, how can we not listen to people in other cultures saying we've destroyed their culture when we've done it to us. We wow. we don't know what we've lost of ourselves. When we look at Rome and, like Rome rules England for hundreds of years, and all the things they added and they brought, and the Roman culture was sort of unique for adding gods to itself and saying, well, as long as you do what we tell you, it's okay if you keep your beliefs. Which yeah, yeah. is sort of normal in many parts of the world when empires have fallen and risen, yeah. and it's only or it seems to only be monotheism and the culture that went with it that destroyed other voices and got rid of them. And I think that's been the most unhealthy part of Western society still, is even though we had the Great Enlightenment, in inverted commas, which, you know, got rid of or separated church and state, uh, uh, mentally at least, we're still left with the barriers of this thinking of um, them and us, or right and wrong, and uh, kind of that removal of nuance. And I, I'm really interested in telling stories that look at culture and talk about that loss and, and yearn for and look actually look to cultures like India who you know horrific things done over the last 300 years as there's, there's no apology that can be enough for those things but still manage to keep its traditions and its culture enough that now it is being celebrated and we can tell these stories and it, it, it's magnificent and I, I i feel almost a little sad that that can never happen here because it's been too long that we will never know what those ancient people
1: i think uh, uh sorry uh, i think a similar thing did happen in india there was this uh again like uh there are there is there are debates among historians and uh That, how this happened, when this happened and so on. Uh, This, but the difference is that instead of erasure, it was assimilation. So there was Aryan, again, it's called invasion. Mm. There is dispute whether that is the appropriate word to use. But then there was this uh, change that happened. Uh, There was a group of people who came in from outside and who, Kind of started assimilating all the other cultures that existed but i think the difference between what happened in europe and india is that here it was always addition rather than subtraction it was the erasure i'm sure it happened to a certain extent but the usually the mindset was to just keep adding so that made things everything richer also uh, for example like one of the three primary stages, uh, of hinduism are brahma vishnu and shiva shiva lord shiva lord shiva is does not look like any of the other gods he looks very different his symbol is the shivling which is a phallic symbol like you were just talking about the, the, those symbols in the churches he, the, the 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 symbol of shiva that is worshipped in all shiva temples is a phallic symbol which is placed inside a yoni which is a vagina, basically a symbol for vagina. So uh, these are not gods of Hinduism, these are gods that predate Hinduism. But when Hinduism uh, came and grew, it kind of just incorporated all of it into the like the primary pantheon and primary text.
0: See, I think that's for me very beautiful because I always look and I feel very blessed to be a child of nowhere because uh, of my unique cultural situation, and yeah, yeah. I think I feel that what that's given me is an ability to look at a lot of cultures without ever feeling that's mine, um, without having that. Uh, I have a yearning to connect, but it's yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. mine. I am not yeah, yeah, yeah. Hindu. My grandmother was from India, but I am not. I'm not yeah. Christian or from it. I I'm my own thing. And what's fascinating is looking at these different cultures at, from as an outsider, is as I said earlier we're all telling the same story and we're all telling you know trying to help each other through the darkness and give each other hope and light and love and great food and uh, Mm -hmm. I think because that's pivotal in almost any oral tradition or any true storyteller it's why I've always personally had a distrust of Christianity there's very little mention of food in any of the stories, <laughs> you know, that's that's a red flag, if yeah. you're not... What
1: you shouldn't eat I think is mentioned more than what you should Absolutely. eat Absolutely, <laughs> and if you're not talking about
0: food to make for a loved one, then, yeah. you know, I'm out um, and I think it's really interesting that cultures that do assimilate and add to themselves, like the Romans did, as aspects of Hinduism have you don't lose... You might lose something specific but you don't lose the spirits yeah, yeah and so uh, you know I, I read a beautiful story about alexander the great when he got to the shores of the indus river um, um, and and house the kind of the hellenic states that stayed there and that there were greeks in india you know yeah, it was at yeah. uh, 300 500 bc and yeah. that some of those legends bled into hinduism and i think oh what a beautiful yeah. link between two often seen as very different worlds, although anyone who studies history knows actually the whole Middle Eastern, um, kind of Southeast Asia and Western Europe, Eastern Europe, so we're very linked through the Silk Road. Yeah. But I think it's great when we can find ways of telling each other's stories and sharing our stories that brings yeah, us together yeah. rather Instead than-
1: Discovering those connections is like so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt, Yeah.
0: I felt really excited because as I say, being, you know, very clearly white, uh, often when my grandmother tells me stories or i say to people i'm a little bit indian they look at me and say but you're not though because (laughs) you know and the way i sound and i say well well, no okay i don't look it i don't sound it so it's nice for me to know that there's aside from my indian blood there is historical precedent as well that the peoples were connected there are shared legends and shared stories because strangely i find it very hard to connect to say, my great-great-grandmother, who was born and grew up and lived in Delhi all her life, I don't know her. But if we're talking about, again, the stories of the Hellenic gods of Zeus and um, kind of the shape-shifting into the bull, which is, you know, very similar stories to some of the kind of... Yeah, yeah. That's... I can touch (laughs) that. Do you, do you know what yeah. I mean? I feel like I yeah yeah exactly I, I feel family yeah. through our stories yeah. rather than yeah. I necessarily do through blood. Finally, because this has been such an interesting conversation, but it must all good <laughs> things must end. Um, where can people find you, and what should they be looking out for?
1: <laughs> all right, so uh, I am on Twitter as Andre Rajib One. I think you did mention that. My uh, most of my things that I have published, it's on uh, uh drive through rpg <clears throat> what recently uh, actually yeah just uh, last week or so last in the last 10 days two of my uh things have come out uh one of them is uh called captain Snowman's guided cruise to the it's a bunch of uh, domains of dread uh, that so uh, recently a raven mm-hmm. book was released so this is along the same lines and follows the kind of the same structure so you start with what the uh, this domain looks like who the dark lord is how the transcend like uh, how the domain like the mists came mm-hmm. and what was that la- big thing that happened and then a few adventure seeds so in a very short uh, concise package it gives you enough to kind of uh, run games within this world so my uh, domain, again, I guess I keep coming back to similar themes, uh, but uh, this is again based on uh, caste violence, caste atrocities. And it is kind of uh, ex- takes it to the extreme, take exaggerates uh, what is actually a lived reality of a lot of people uh, on like in the present day also, but it, kind, it takes it. Uh, and makes it a horror story because it is indeed a horror story but just kind of takes it to just that one level higher in terms of the impact of it so uh that is a book that has come out recently and then another one is called broken writers uh this was fun to write because uh like i said uh, i had mentioned earlier uh, for me i tried in collaborative storytelling so the seed of this idea came from another person uh, who is R.P. Davis, he uh, runs Kabuta Games uh, and uh, he is Dutch. So this is a Dutch folktale based off on a Dutch folktale. So uh, he had this uh, seed of an idea, but he did not have time to write it. So he was asking, looking for writers. I said, "Okay, I can do it so I kind of expanded on it. And we have this book, which is uh, again, this this village is under siege by this infernal monster. Uh, the villagers don't know where they are coming from, but then there are bandits, there is a lord who does not really care. So all of this is happening, but then there is something that connects all of those. So there's a bit of mystery to it. So that book has come out recently also on drive to rpg uh, And then, yeah, there are some other things coming out soon.
0: Well I'll make sure that we have the links to your drive through RPG page and because I think some of it was on DMS Guild as well, so I'll make sure DMs Guild page is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I'd say thank you so much for giving up your afternoon to talk to me. It has been such (laughs) a pleasure.
1: Absolutely welcome. It's been it was a great pleasure. It was just so awesome. Like just I learned so much, so many things just by talking to you and i
0: would yeah likewise it's yeah. absolute education and i would again encourage everyone please go check out the store buy the stuff let's see if we can get Rajib to uh best mithril seller as soon as we can <laughs> uh, that'd be grand wouldn't it and then that'd be grand <laughs> then the funds will be there to help hire some other writers and get this um this magical right. setting done That's ground, what we're waiting yes. for. <laughs> well i'm going to say good night and thank you to all the listeners right now Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you soon. Have a wonderful evening.